A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Listen for the word of God. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests and the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, suppose one of you has only one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said to them, to, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored as sound as the other. These have been for us, the word of God, for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Esther, for that beautiful reading this morning. Would you pray with me? Creator God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Though my words may be imperfect, work through them. Thanks and blessings. Amen. Hi, June. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I always feel like spring is kind of a mad rush filled with events and things to finish right before we hit that long stretch of summer. For me right now, and for 10 students in our church and their families, that thing is confirmation. <laughs> if you don't know what confirmation is, it's where students, usually in middle or high school, publicly respond to the faith that was offered to them in the ritual of their baptism. Students become recognized as adults in the church, sharing in the vows that make us Methodists. Now, in case you've forgotten your own baptismal vows, that's okay. I'm here to remind you. They include things like renouncing and actively resisting evil, being a loyal and committed member of the community, and to participate in the ministries of the church. 
The goal of the confirmation class is to teach our students the traditions and beliefs of the United Methodist Church in an effort to ensure that they enter into that commitment with eyes wide open to what it means to be a follower of Christ in the United Methodist Church. Now, I remember my own confirmation class nearly 20 years ago, and there was a lot of uh, memorizing involved. And multiple choice quizzes were a very common thing. I actually found a couple of my multiple choice quizzes in my confirmation Bible. Serious discussions were had regarding the fate of souls and what we were supposed to think about our salvation and the salvation of others. For every question that was asked, there was a nice, neat, and concise answer that could, if necessary, fit on the back of an index card. And along with every right answer, there were neatly outlined rules and regulations on how we as Christians are supposed to behave. I was the youngest of the class in sixth grade in class with a bunch of freshmen, sophomores, and juniors in high school. And for where I was in my life as a 12-year-old, uh, I loved how clear-cut these lines seemed to be. I felt like it helped keep my choices very neat and tidy. But you can probably guess where the story ends up. Having a strict, neat and tidy understanding of the world and my choices in it would only last so long. It was only a matter of time before I was met with situations that defied my understanding of what was right and wrong. And I realized that in terms of faith, at least maybe my faith, Rigidity can often mean fragility. So when I was faced with the opportunity of teaching a confirmation class, I brought my own baggage and worries with me. I have spent the last two years wondering what kind of class would best serve our students. How can we prepare them to carry their faith with them into a world that I cannot even picture the future of? There might be aliens there, or massive shifts in how our world works. How do I prepare them for that world and how to carry their faith in it? Maybe the most pertinent question of all, what would Jesus teach? I mean, it's not like we can look to God for good clarification on how to teach the rules, because even the creator of the rules seems fine with bucking them on occasion. <laughs> Jesus is definitely his parents' child. When God didn't like the rules that Pharaoh was living by, he had Moses demand that the Pharaoh set his people free. And how did God respond to perceived injustice? I mean, Pharaoh was really just following the rules. So God responded with nine plagues worth of property damage. Very interesting statement on how God handles injustice. But as you can tell from our scripture today, our, the center of our faith doesn't really care about the rules and traditions. It's kind of a tricky beast to teach. For example, our scripture today finds Jesus walking through the grain fields with his friends on the Sabbath. And like every other human being I know, they're hungry all the time. So they start snacking on the wheat as they pass. Now, the Pharisees 
believed that that was considered harvesting and that that was against the rules. Now, before we go and decide that the Pharisees are the bad guys in the story, let's take a moment to try and consider their perspective. The Sabbath is incredibly important. They're not wrong in saying that working on the Sabbath defies the rules that are laid out for the Sabbath. It's a time that God has set aside for each of us to heal ourselves and our minds and our relationships with God and others. If God has a love language, I think it might be the Sabbath. So I think the Sabbath deserves to be defended and honored. The Pharisees thought so, but... What was Jesus' response? Is it the rules of the Sabbath? Do they not matter to Jesus? <laughs> and when God is confronted with the rules that God created, what is Jesus' response? God doesn't seem to care. He says there is something greater than the temple here, to which I imagine the Pharisees thinking, uh-huh, and what is more important than God's house? In response, maybe to that internal question, but to the Pharisees' critique, Jesus responds with words not his own, but from the prophet Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Whatever rules I could teach, whatever law I could clarify, none of them compare with the desires of God enfleshed on earth. Those who would persecute Jesus throughout his ministry would come to find that this teacher from Nazareth had no problem breaking the law in order to teach it. Every time Jesus confronted those trying to keep God's law, he showed us the truth of God's law and God's love. The law was not made to keep us down, but to set us free. In the words of Leonard Sweet, the Sabbath is made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. At the heart of God's law is love. When keeping a law does not ring with ultimate love for neighbor, it won't ring with the love of God either. So after rebuking the Pharisees, he decided to go directly into the temple and confront them again, a move that I like to consider sassy Jesus. And he asks them, how much more vulnerable is a human being than a sheep? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is a cry again and again to let go of the things in our lives that are preventing us from living a full life. This was a dangerous message, and it was one that ultimately led to his death. Not that love was the point of the law, because I think the Pharisees might even agree to that. It was that Jesus thought that love was the point and we shouldn't accept anything less. That was what made Jesus dangerous. Love at all cost, even at the cost of the rules. Now people who break the rules to break the rules, well, they're rebels without a cause. They're glamorous, but quickly fading. People who break the rules because it is their moral imperative to do so, well, those people are dangerous, and the Pharisees knew it. What is even more scary is that we, 
are all called to join in this reckless pursuit of life at the cost of rules broken and egos bruised. For as much as I would love to be able to teach these students an easily memorized set of question and answers, the law of love is a lot harder, more complicated, more nuanced, with so many gray areas and tensions. As much as I'd love to outline it with steps and programs, love is a messy business. It reminds me of a poem by Reverend M. Barclay called Let Love Be Messy. Love isn't just one thing. It's fierce and soft, intimate and collective, wild and sincere and deliberate and just. Love can be more chaos than order. Love can be a boundary. Love can be conflict. It's complicated, it's multifaceted. Love is hard work. Love is natural. Love is a process and a practice. Though its paths are many and varied, love always leads to life. Love is an ever unfolding thing. We are all still figuring out. We are still figuring it out. Every day, we find ourselves facing new situations more complex and more difficult than the Pharisees of old could even imagine. And for my confirmands, I wonder where do we even begin? If there are no right answers in how to love, well, what do we teach? Well, welcome to confirmation class. You've all just enrolled and you have homework right now. <laughs> The first step in any act of faith is self-reflection. So consider these two questions this week to be your homework. What are the rules that you follow in your own life that aren't life-giving? For me, sometimes this is stressing myself out over having a clean home. It must be clean even to my own detriment, like a lack of sleep. But maybe they're rules that we follow because we think they are appropriate or good manners. Maybe they are echoes of the voices that live in our heads from parents or teachers or others. Maybe they're the rules that the world has placed on our desires or ambitions or who we are allowed to be. Take a look at the rules that you are following for yourself maybe they're conscious rules or unconscious, and check them against Jesus' measurement. Are these laws grounded in love? The second question is, what expectations do you have of others that are getting in the way of loving them? What rules are you applying to someone else that keeps you separated or distanced from one another? Are they rules on appearance or assimilation into society or income? Maybe they are based on how you perceive goodness and worth, or maybe they're based in fear. Whatever the rules are, I want you to take a close look at them. Take a good look at the rules in your life and ask, whose rules are you following?
Are we following the spirit of the law that God gave us? Or are we following the rules that the world has given us? Rules that thrive on separation and oppression. If we're following Christ's example, we're called to look at those rules with a harsh and critical eye and to break them when they don't exemplify ultimate love. So your homework this week, in short, go and break some rules, but let love be your guide. I pray that these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.